Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a member of the 1012 Podcast Network, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at 1012podcastnetwork.com. Now, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. I'd like to remind you, this podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Charlie Hustle Clothing Company. They are a vintage-inspired clothing company based out of Kansas City that specializes in collegiate and hometown apparel. Charlie Hustle wants you to be the best dress fan this season, so be sure to check out their wide selection of officially licensed collegiate apparel today and show off your school spirit all season long. Kyle and I both have some Charlie Hustle uh, gear on the way. We're excited to uh, get to show some of that off on our socials, but uh, you can be the best dress fan this season by going to charliehustle.com use the code 101215 that's t-e-n 1215 at checkout to get 15% off any non-sale item by using that code vintage made fresh over at charliehustle.com my name is gerald goodridge i'm your host this week like i am every week and i'm joined by a man who's not seven feet tall kyle carpenter kyle how are you <laughs> i was wondering where we were going to uh specifically bring up the trees inside of daryl k royal that's right if you're not uh, familiar with what Gerald and I are mentioning. We went to a game this week, and we um, stood behind the collection of five tallest individuals in the entire stadium, and that's not an exaggeration. There was uh, at least two over six foot eight, including one six foot ten giant. Um, if you happen to be listening to this, um, Harden Simmons Center uh, at six foot ten. Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for being a, a Longhorn fan. Uh, but next time, try a sorority squat to let a little breeze in and a little view. For our uh, Gerald and I and our and our spouses who are not over six feet tall, they can't control how tall they are. And like, obviously, <laughs> that's getting that guy's school paid for. So I can't even be mad at him. It was just one of those like the most Kyle and I luck thing in the world, right? right? Like, it's we, we we bought these really nice tickets, and like those dudes were super cool. Like they, they were, were super they cool. They're they very were. chill. Um, but yeah, it just caused a, a ripple effect because I felt bad for the people behind us actually because they did not want to stand, but they had to because yeah, we had yeah, to stand. Yeah, did do, <laughs> we we did the the math? I think the last time Gerald and I have been at the same UT football game at the same time together was 2007 because back in the day you know Gerald was working the game I was on the field doing stuff for Cowboys or whatever it was even when we were there uh it was a couple years since we we got to to be together for a game and then he's been to some I've been to some but it's never been the same game so literally I don't know the math 16 years and it all (laughs) All comes to culmination, we get in our seats and then we sit behind the tallest human beings. There's there's something poetic uh, about that and and what fun it was. I mean, it was a great time though. Like we, I had a blast. Uh, the the stadium environment. We'll talk about this more in a little bit. Um, compared to when you and I were in school, is absolutely oh, yeah. insane. It's so so cool. But uh, Texas got a win, uh, a little bit tighter than I think people wanted it to be, but 31 to 10 over Wyoming. So we'll break that down. We've also got some down the 40 for you. Uh, the ladies were in action all over soccer, volleyball, golf, men's golf, also in action, tennis uh, going in. And then we'll obviously close the show out with some bang the drum. So Texas looked like the old Texas on Saturday, not the good way, tied 10 to 10 going into the fourth quarter against Wyoming and then said, oh, wait, 
this might not be the old Texas. This might be the new Texas. Cracked off 21 points thanks to a Xavier Worthy. Um, honestly, tightrope walk down the sideline. Really impressive. Jonathan Brooks cracked off a big run and set up a touchdown. And then to cap it all off, the defense scored some points as well with the pick six from Bug Thompson. So there's a lot to talk about, Kyle. We can talk about the offense, kind of the slow start and the frustrations there. We can talk about the defense continuing to really be uh, elite right outside of that one touchdown it was uh, a pretty another solid outing for Pete Kwiatkowski's group just really um I think the thing I want to talk about the most Kyle I'm gonna get your impressions on this I feel like in years past in, in recent history Texas either loses that game much like and, and Wyoming played their game right that's a Craig yeah. Bowl team and they're gonna ugly it up and they're gonna to try to keep it close and they're yeah. gonna to try to steal it from you at the end and and that's what they did against Texas Tech in week one but you know in years past and even like last year that's how kind of the Texas Tech game was for Texas last year um, they lose that game or at least it comes down to an ugly field goal win and we all kind of walk away feeling bad but that fourth quarter Texas has turned it on and i think we're starting to see a texas team you know for the second week in a row that knows how to close and that's uh, an interesting feeling to have texas is a fourth quarter team under steve sarkeesian we've always said that we've said that all the time we definitely predicted that um no it, i think rod baber said it uh you know gave some stats to his credit on uh how much texas had been outscored uh in the previous years um you know like something like eight points a quarter in the fourth quarter um, and outscored opponents ridiculously in, in the first half. And, and, you know, that didn't translate to win. So they're trying something different. And they are currently a fourth quarter team. It's, there's three data points now to, to show it. Um, they're a fourth quarter team, um, or at least two. I don't know about the Rice game so much. But um, they are a fourth quarter team. They just are not currently a four-quarter team, right? They... <sighs> If Texas could just play, you know, four quarters with their hair on fire, uh, and to some extent, I, I maybe they did against Alabama. They certainly played their best quarter in the fourth. Um, you know, you're talking about a team, and look, they moved up to number three in the AP pool. We, we're, we're picking uh, at nits here. We're in uncharted territory for the past 10 years, right? We, we should celebrate and not just be Texas fans who find a reason to uh, find pimples on the prom queen, as we say. Um, but look... Wyoming had a game plan. They stuck to it. There was a one script in which the game went the way that it went the first three quarters, right? It was going to require them just kind of muddying up things for Texas, not letting anything deep beat them, relying on sure open field tackles, you know, controlling that Texas offense, creating something, you know, that, that distracts the quarterback enough or, or the receivers that there's drops, poor execution. All those things happen negatively for Texas. And then on the offensive side of the ball, they needed to, you know, break a big run, which they did. They needed to do dominate the line of scrimmage, which they did uh, on the offensive side of the ball for, for much of the, the opening couple quarters. They were the more dominant offensive line who set the, the tone of the game. Um, and that, you know, was the only way they would stay in this. If Texas could have connected, could have executed early um, and, got this if they could have played the game where they forced Wyoming to do what they wanted to which is uh pass the ball to keep up with Texas this could have got ugly quickly but again Wyoming well coached incredibly well coached runs that midwestern Iowa State strangle a game slow it down 
you know, do things that, that you don't always see uh, in, in today's game. You know, the, the sprint out, uh, sprint out, uh, quarterback sprint out, sprint out from the wide receiver is just not, you know, 2023 uh, football. And good for them that, that that, you know, did everything it needed to in the first half. But to Texas's credit, right, we saw them go on the road and win. They haven't done that against Alabama. We've seen them in consecutive games respond to punches, and we've seen them in consecutive games close out games in the fourth quarter. Those are all the questions in our season preview that we talked about for this Texas team, and it wasn't it wasn't a pretty win. It was a, it was a clunker, but they didn't just win it like Gerald you alluded to. It wasn't just an ugly squeak uh, squeak by. They found something. They put their stamp on it. They, you know, hit the gas at the end. Actually, technically hit the brakes. Could have gone a little bit more. Uh, they, they scored one more touchdown, but finished it. Left no doubt. Didn't let anything stupid happen at the end and, and got out comfortably when all things were, were, were said. Yeah, and I think that's that's the story for me. I think regardless of Quinn Ewer's struggles, right, he really struggled in the first half, had some drops, had some misplaced balls that were uh, some really good plays by defensive backs that really all contributed to it. But, you know, when push, come to, push comes to shove, Texas did what it needed to do to win, right? He connected. He found Xavier Worthy. Texas struggled a little bit to get the run going, so they uh, hit Xavier Worthy on one of those quick outs, and he made some room and turned that into a big break. I do think we have to shout out Jonathan Brooks, who got walked for the second week in a row, but it's fine. Um, you know, 21 for 164, uh, really great pro football focus grade. But, you know, that like that 164, like it's floated, obviously, by a big 61 yard rush. But like, even if you take that out, he was still averaging more than five yards a carry, 5.1 yards a carry. Didn't have uh, he had like 14 of his 21 carries went for more than four yards. He had just two that would be considered stuffs, right? No, uh, no gain or losses. He had two of those uh, out of his 21. So, like the guy is a workhorse, and I know um, Texas has the option to to bring CJ Baxter back, and I think they held them out uh, based on precaution, is what they said pr- uh, pregame. Uh, but Jonathan Brooks is a guy who I think the more work you give him, the more he's going to do. You saw he struggled early to get in a rhythm, but once he did get in a rhythm, he was really able to create uh, what Texas needed to do in that that fourth quarter and kind of take and really play what Wyoming wanted to do, right? Because that's Wyoming's game. Um, and that's why the, the game ended almost abruptly, right? It felt kind of weird how it ended. Um, but that was what Texas needed to do was like, let's, let's take some of the air out of the ball. Let's not give them the ball back. Um, and that's what Texas was able to do with Jonathan Brooks late. And I think it's a big part of the reason why um, if Texas is going to find success in the future, that's something they're going to have to lean on and continue to do. Um, especially as uh, conference play comes, there are going to be some games where you're going to need to close it out, where you're going to need to take advantage the new clock rules and keep the clock moving. So I really think um, Brooks is a, it, I've been saying it for years, right? Jonathan Brooks is a dude that I think Texas can lean on. I think with CJ Baxter coming back, um, it's great. But I also think Brooks is a guy who needs to get into rhythm. So I want to see some more of that from Sark. Yeah. And, and look, give, give all the flowers to Brooks and, and to Gerald for, for being, you know, the first person on this bandwagon. He welcomes you when you get on. If there's a lot of folks this week who may be joining, um, led all of college football with 10, you know, uh, Force missed tackles, like good for, uh, good on him for doing what he did. I, I tried to figure out the game plan a little, right? I think after the the high of of Alabama, where you know the, the entire country was praising Sark's offensive game plan and, and Ewers's execution, when it was very clear that this was not a vintage, or maybe it was a vintage Quinn game, and it wasn't uh, that Quinn we were we were hoping to see. Um, it felt like. You know, Sark didn't want to go too deep in the bag. Uh, we'll talk about that touchdown in a moment. Um, the best play of the season uh, so far. Um, pass from Quinn Ewers to, to the big the big fellow. But um, 
there was I think there was a thought that look we we have Jonathan Brooks we're holding Baxter out you know Blue is is good but still not perfect you saw the fumble at the end of the game and so I I almost wonder if there was a thought of we'll throw the ball to set the run up and and you know not have to grind JB2K in into powder and run him 35 times in this one and in it almost felt like he overthought it and the adjustment didn't come until the second half when or really the second quarter to some extent but um when their defense was was basically going three three five and just just bailing three guys into a into a zone with you know five back and and or three safeties three three linebackers and some cornerbacks back there and just tempting them right like at that point you have to take the run and your line has to go win some things um pretty you know okay display from the line not terrible not great uh d- injury on the line we'll talk about but but uh dj gave up the one sack that was allowed and it was purely just miscommunication which christian jones let the guy go inside and campbell wasn't there but you know okay especially as the game went on and they decided to run the ball and they decided we could be a physical line too but all credit to, to brooks like gerald said who who seems to be that guy who just you know like a train engine gets going and better and better uh and maybe that is you know maybe we do incorporate that a little bit but keelan robinson they did a lot of stuff with him uh motioning out to to create some looks um jatavian sanders i didn't love necessarily at all times his blocking his stats would look a little better there was probably a a no call pi on him and um gunner helm seemed to be the guy who slipped in a, a couple different times to be the passing target but Gerald, I mean the the offense was relatively anemic for for long stretches. Like we can't we can't pretend that didn't happen. Um, and we'll talk about the defense because I want to give them credit for sure. Uh, but if you focus in Gerald on the second and third quarters, they had eighty three yards. They also had twenty yards of penalties, so they had net sixty three yards of offense in the second and third quarter. They started out, you know. Not great on that first drive, but got some things going um, in the first quarter. They didn't score again until the fourth quarter. They didn't score for two quarters, and they had 60-some-odd net yards. It's just there's a little bit of a worrying tendency with Sark that, you know, it takes a little bit to figure out how to get off his script, his game plan, when the defense does something different. And if I'm a Big 12 you know, coordinator, I basically uh, play Quinn Ewers and, and again, not just Sark's fault. There was multiple, multiple drops. There was multiple overthrows from Ewers. It just it wasn't crisp. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm challenging them to do that. I'm not letting them get over top. I'm sitting in zone. Uh, so your crossing routes stay in front of me, and I'm going to make you, you know, make the catch and make the play after. Now, Xavier Worthy did that, you know, but a lot of the Texas receivers didn't come with that. A lot of Quinn's throws didn't put them in position to, to come for that. So there seems to be a game plan. And then when I said Iowa State, I very much meant it. You play the three three high safeties, keep stuff in front of you, play zone in front of it, uh, challenge them, and then you know strangle the ball on the other side and see if you can get efficient or get lucky, right? And, and I am a little bit worried about that. I do want to see uh, Texas head into Big 12 play with efficiency as, as the top of the, the bucket list for what they're looking to, you know, to learn from this game and improve. And again, take nothing away, a really salty Wyoming defense. I think I saw the stat eighth in the country the past two years in non-blitz sacks forced. And they only had one against Texas. But, um, you know, it, they, they have been a salty defense for a couple years. It's, it's Bowles, the former Nebraska um, or bold, the former Nebraska defensive coordinator way back when, uh, it's his brand. It's, it's that, you know, cowboy defense. It's, it is what it is. They're, they're a tough team. Um, but you know, other teams are going to try to replicate that when the, when Texas has more talent, they're going to try to strangle both on offense and defense. 
I mean, yeah, that's that's the play-in, and that's what you've got to do against a team. And, and I think we're going to see a lot of teams try to do that against Texas. So I'm curious to see if Sark is able to do something. Now, we have to talk about the defense, because uh, the defense yeah. was really incredible. Um, they gave up a 62-yarder to uh, a running back who'd probably be an RB1 in a lot of schools in uh, the country, but gave him a 62-yarder early, but then uh, kind of put the clamps on, really. Um, we got a shout-out, man. Jade Barron continues yes. to be uh, just an absolute monster. Uh, nine tackles, a pass broken up, um, four stops on third down. Uh, he was close to, I think he was close to an interception at one point, like that PBU. Um, just absolutely incredible uh, outing from him. Jaron Thompson uh, continues to be a guy who I think uh, is flashing the, the the heights that he has, and I, I do. We have to shout you out. Uh, you called that interception, um, and I think it was just the the a perfectly timed play. Um, you know, they had gone to the well one too many times, and so I think Jaron Thompson saw it coming, saw the out, and, and jumped it and took it back the other way and really capped things off for Texas. So I think there is uh, a, you could we could. The defense was what we wanted them to be, you know, and I think uh, we Texas did lose Chris Ross for about a month uh, in this game. So that's a, that's a bummer. Chris Ross was, was a big contributor uh, for Texas. But I think if there's a spot where they could probably stand to lose a guy, it's at that defensive tackle spot. Like it's, it's a pretty uh, deep group, but you obviously don't want to lose somebody like Chris Ross, who's, who's got a ton of talent for you. But Jalen Ford did Jalen Ford things. Uh, Anthony, Hill looked like a freshman in some spots. And I yeah. think uh, that big touchdown run was partially that right. I think they the misdirection if you go back and watch the yep. replay it very much was an intentional misdirection of a play that they put a lot of film on um and the defense honestly sniffed out the play yep. that they had the film on and then the lineman got hooked the linebackers were out of position there was a seam and a tiny little fast running back just housed it like you know that's kind of what what wyoming is built on is that right there and, and it was it was gorgeous with the you know with the the read option quarterback keeper with that uh, motion kind of cowboy back they use uh, going with him and a lineman. I mean it took the defense's eyes. It took uh, Hill who was the linebacker on the opposite side. You know took his eyes, got him lost in the wa in the wash. That was you saw Baron Sorrell almost get there, and you saw in the second half an adjustment where to his credit Sorrell started making that play right either either getting you know one step further in the backfield and making it before that guy could take off or taking away the cutback lane a couple times. Um, um, are, are kind of set the edge uh, pretty well on those and took that away in the second half. But yeah, it's, it is the the gift and the curse of Jaron Thompson. He's not a a blazing four three athlete at safety. He's an intuitive player, as you saw with the pick six. He's got good speed when he gets going, but you know he also probably could have stopped that for a fifteen yard run instead of a sixty. Has if he has a little more speed or a little better angle on it. But again, <laughs> that running back is quick, like very. Very quick, but uh, I believe Whaley was his name. Whaley had nine for 93 against 60 of that being the, the big run, but still eight for you know 31 uh, in the first half. And in the second half had nine touches for 17 yards, right? Texas adjusted. And again, that's what I keep coming back to. Texas adjusted. There was a Keaton Crawford play where clearly um, they were understanding and, and, you know, it's like what I said to Gerald in the stadium. Like, I would much rather get beat on an out and up uh, if they have that kind of time and their quarterbacks over the top throwing motion allows him to throw it that far um, than keep getting beat on these, you know, seven to, to 13 yard outs um, that are that are timing plays. And Keaton Crawford went to jump one and like jumped it too well. The quarterback, his kind of his his uh, sodi pop uh, arm that, that just doesn't have a, a rocket. You know, it's kind of a, a, a bottle pop there. Just a, he overplayed it, I think, or he would have had an interception. But Jaron Thompson timed it perfectly. Nothing but space there. Um, I just think, you know, Texas didn't do great themselves on third downs in this one, but they also held 
in that second half really well. And I think a lot of that goes to Jody Barron, right? He had four third down stops on his own. It's why he was a PFF National Player of the Week. I, I think I counted three out of those four where he was in open space the guy to make the play with a blocker on him and fought through to make it right. And if you're Wyoming, that kills you. Cause that's, that's what you scheme and draw up. It's like, can we get one-on-one and hope to break one of those, get in space. And they never did. Like they just really never did. Texas was really great. I think I saw Terrence Brooks on the first drive, miss an open field tackle uh, on a screen. And after that, I just, I, I didn't on my rewatch count any noticeable, uh, missed open field tackles like give the whole team credit but but it starts with Jody Barron who was the the owner of space in this one it just felt like every time there was a third town third down they had a tight end screen they drew up a nice little concept um that if if Barron doesn't make that tackle it's a for sure first down and probably a, a good chunk play um but what does he do he stops it it's a third down and they and they punt right and and Speaking of punting, um, Texas special teams was excellent in all phases Incredible. Uh, in this game, right? They start with the things you don't see, right? They, they, their kickoff team, they only attempted one, and they tackled them inside the 15, so they fair caught every single one after that. They didn't even want to try to run. Multiple tackles where, you know, Texas gunners got down there fast and on punt and uh, maybe overplayed a little, but the second guy was there. Or, again, like I, I even saw the freshman linebacker, uh, Leafau, uh, make a throwaway block tackle like again the tackles when a guy is blocking you are just impressive to me in open space um and in texas did that well the returns obviously were, were beautiful i thought xavier worthy looked like you know he was if he didn't couldn't get the ball in offense it was just anytime he touched it he he knew he was faster as you saw in that touchdown than every player on the field and he wanted to break one and he got real close a couple different times and then ryan sanborn you know you, you see why he was so highly touted he's just consistent and great and and does all the things you're looking for yeah, I mean, there's there there are not enough superlatives, I think, to talk about what this defense did for uh, Texas on this. Some ugly news. Cole Hudson, uh, Chris Ross, both going to be out three to four weeks, um, targeting probably, hopefully, OU and maybe a post-bi-week return uh, for them. But they're both key losses for Texas uh, losing. But, yeah, Texas uh, already on pace to uh, probably exceed what they've done in fourth quarters this right. year, 42 fourth-quarter points in three games uh, compared to 91 a year ago and 70 in the first year. Mm-hmm. Um, Sark mentioned it in his Monday presser that uh, they've been starting, they've been starting slower than they have in the past. So I think if they can find a way to recapture the fast starts from previous years, years uh, while maintaining this fourth quarter production they can really be a juggernaut podstradamus update brought to you by prize picks kyle your pick six plays of 15 or more yards texas only had five plays of 15 or more yards and then you got you got your game changing play from the special teams that was a big punt return from xavier where the eye Whiffed on both, which is fine. It's okay. Um, 250 yards and three touchdowns for Quinn Ewers and three sacks. Texas got neither. Texas had one sack and five tackles for loss. Um, but the quarterback scrambled out of bounds for a couple of times. But we're not going to count. It's fine. I want to keep this honest. If I You're win, giving it yourself zero. I was willing to give yeah. you a half point. I'm, I'm just going to take the goose egg on it. It's fine, Kyle. We'll we'll just we'll just keep grinding. We'll keep going, uh, and we'll be back uh, on Thursday with our more pot with our new Potsdamas picks and our Baylor preview. Yeah, the six plays of 15 yards. I had five that I that I uh, counted of, four, of 15 yards, one for 14, a run for 12. But I'm not giving myself points there either. I said six very confidently. It was five and almost. But I will I will say if you're going to play it nice there with, with I was going to give you the tackles for loss that weren't and should have been counted as sacks, I will say, okay, I took one and you took zero and we, you know, we'll regroup for next week. 
So that's the part of the show where we whip around the rest of campus and we down uh, the 40. And we'll start with number 16, Texas Soccer, opening Big 12 play with his sixth consecutive shutout, a 4-0 win over Baylor in Waco. All four coming in the second half, which is absolutely incredible. 19 straight undefeated Big 12 regular season matches. That includes draws as well, but still an incredible run for the ladies. Yeah, their shutout streak is now at 585 minutes and 59 seconds, which is a new program record. Um, in their last six shutouts, as Gerald mentioned, they are outscoring their opponents 28 to zero. In this one against Baylor, it was a 4-0 win that all four goals came in the second half. Lexi Misimo scored a brace with Trinity Byers out. She stepped up to score the goals, not just assist them, her 12 goals this season. Move her into a tie for seventh. In a uh, Texas single season on the all-time record list, still, you know, just starting Big 12 play, so a lot of, a lot to go in that one. She's also, I believe, third uh, in assists in a season all-time, so she's just doing everything right now. Leads the nation in points accounted for, um, you know, All-American. I believe she got some recognition as College Soccer News National Team of the Week and should, should see some more uh, pouring in this week as well because she's really something special, and, and you know, she's at the top of her game right now. Yeah, she's absolutely killing it, man. Texas needs them to con needs her to continue that streak. They've got Texas Tech, who's right on the outside of the top 25. And then the big matchup, number one BYU on Monday. So Texas has a test, a couple of tests coming up. We'll see if that winless and shutout streak continue through the week number six volleyball goes one and one against ranked opponents in back-to-back -back nights they managed to beat number 19 ohio state in four sets uh thanks to the heroics uh, from maddie skinner but fall to number 11 washington state in four sets as well texas uh won the first set of that one but uh was close but no cigar on the final three yeah this is this is uh this is figure it out time um this is a this is not a top ten team right now. The way they're playing with some of their losses, they're good, but they're flawed. They need consistency. Um, they have some time to figure it out. But Big Twelve, they they need to start dominating to get that to get that that killer instinct uh, to head into postseason if they want to defend that national title. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this team comes together. I feel like they haven't quite just found the gel that they need. Maddie Skinner, again, like I said, 24 kills against uh, Ohio State. They're close, but they're not quite elite yet, but we'll see what conference play turns out for them. They open up with uh, Oklahoma in Norman on Friday and Saturday. Number seven, women's golf opens the season with a sixth place finish at the Annika Intercollegiate. Uh, freshman Farah O'Keefe led the charge for them. The Texas, the 12 team field featured nine squads ranked in the top 13 of the WGCA coaches poll. That's right. Yeah. Farah O'Keefe, especially, you want to call her out. She finished uh, tied second in her first collegiate tournament. And this was not, as Gerald said, you know, uh, nobody's, right? This is, this is one of the premier tournaments in the country um nine of the top 13 i think she uh finished higher than eight individual golf week all americans with her, her tied for second was one shot off winning her first or at least tying for the for the lead uh her first collegiate um tournament so i mean pretty exciting right we, we talked about who steps up for this team that is a ton of great players but maybe not one dominant bell cow Maybe Farrah O'Keefe putting the stamp down uh, first to be that, but you know, not far behind. Sophomore uh, Cindy Shu and freshman Lauren Kim both finished in the top twenty-five. So the young, the young guns firing for for number seven golf, and and they look like uh, you know that number could be shrinking.
It's going to continue to shrink, I think. Um, they've got the Windy City Collegiate in Highland Park, Illinois, uh, in the first weekend of October. But I think they've got an opportunity to continue to really um, build momentum and take uh, take the baton in and really uh, challenge for a conference and national championship this year. On the men's side, number 11 men's golf finishes as the runner-up at the OFCC Fighting Illini invite. The final round was actually canceled uh, due to rain, so Texas was not able to uh, mount the final day comeback that we all knew was in them. They finished behind number one North Carolina after a really impressive first two rounds. Yeah, this one also chock full, right? Eight of the top 11, uh, 12 ranked teams and, and two in receiving votes. Uh, a lot of talent. That you, Basically, this was the a postseason tournament, right? Everyone who's in here last year made the 2023 postseason so this was a, a good preview for that and texas showed out they finished only behind number one north carolina and as number 11 right that's that's a good finish they they should be in the single digits next week let's see just how high um, they get ranked but sophomore christian moss uh paced the longhorns he placed third at seven under sophomore jacob sosa was fourth at five under so um some great players to to compete at the top but christian moss looks like the real deal yeah, for sure. I think Christian Moss is going to good. I mean, he's good. We don't know he's good. He's he's going to, I think, lead the pace for the team, and, and it's, they're just going to continue. But next up for them, same weekend as the ladies, October 2nd and 3rd, the Ben Hogan Collegiate Invitational in Fort Worth. Keep it a country club. The women's tennis team sweeps the singles and doubles titles at the River Oaks Invitational over the weekend. Yeah, senior Malika Rapolo captured the singles championship and also got uh, the doubles with sophomore Vivian uh, Ovrutsky. Uh, this was a this was a, a, a talented spring uh, lineup with players from LSU, Rice, Texas A&M, basically uh, those who who passed through the River Oaks area of Houston uh, at the at the Country Club. So good for Texas to have Country Club bragging rights. And that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions at all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum, brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? As we mentioned off the top, Gerald and I got to go to a game, and it was great. Um, Shout-outs to uh, our buddy Brock uh, for, for hosting us at his tailgate. Yes, I don't yes. know if it's a formally named tailgate but uh it is a a fantastic tailgate with great people i took my dad my father-in-law's my dad's first time tailgating my father-in-law's first ut football game and it was very memorable for both of them uh father-in-law um his main takeaway was it's loud which love to hear that uh <laughs> from the fans but um got to you know shouts to to, to starting with it with a great tailgate uh, seeing some of the grounds around kind of the, the stadium and the atmosphere, getting in there and, and, you know, everything from the the flyover with the 435th Fighter Training Squadron from hometown Randolph Air Force Base, where what up, what up? just down the street from Gerald, my father, and, and, and many of our listeners from the San Antonio area, I'm sure. Um, from, from that all the way through, it was great. And we've seen some of that stuff before, right? Some of it wasn't completely new to me, but this was the debut of the smoking and lights the drones the you know the the bathing the the stadium in the orange if you haven't been to a game in a while again all the credit in the world all of it is is deserved to crystal conti gerald and i were joking in 2007 when we were there we thought it couldn't get any better you know texas it was the it was the bee's knees it, we we then later had a jetpack guy um which you know jokes aside uh, they tried um but <laughs> This is something where Del Conte got here and said, yeah, Texas, y'all are great. Man, y'all are really great. But what if we were better? What if we just kept improving? First, it was Bevo Boulevard, everything outside. Um, 
alcohol in the stadium certainly helps and then this like that next level never settling always improving wanting more there was a clear like point in the in this game where i'm not saying that stadium atmosphere changed the game but there was a sack that texas got finally um and it kind of woke the defense up and then they quickly you know woke the offense up xavier worthy on the on the next play and gave texas fans to their credit when they have something to cheer about they will be loud but give them something to cheer about um but you had the orange lights kind of okay we're seeing it now and then you quickly went into that third quarter into the fourth quarter where um everything was happening with the uh you know with the drones with the smoke with the light show with the thunderstruck like with the 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 in-between kind of stadium stuff and all of a sudden it just felt like for that fourth quarter not only was the team awake and executing but the stadium was alive and i don't think that's a coincidence right like it's not just game day atmosphere you know mac didn't say you know come early wear wear orange be loud and all that It, it, it was it matters. Like there, there is a home field advantage component of this that, that, you know, can't be overstated when the fans were out there and giving that energy, the players clearly fed off of it. The offensive line clearly fed off of it. It's why Texas, you know, converted, I think, Oh, of six third downs in the first uh, half, uh, you know, the Savion red cat was standing on fourth downs, but uh, four of six in the second half, right? They're firing a little bit harder. Yeah. They warmed down. Jonathan Brooks ran a little bit harder, whatever, but I think it had a lot to do with the fans. So my applause to all those in there. Um, my applause to Crystal Conti for, for focusing on that, just making Texas home field a menacing place. You heard Will Anderson say it last year, uh, and they're just getting better. They're improving, making it more. And, you know, that's should be the motto for Texas, and it should have been for the past 10 years. Don't settle. When you we feel like you're good, go make it better. When you feel like you're great, go make it the best. Like, I think that's indicative of where this program across all our sports, but in football especially, needs to be in the mindset we need to have. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it before. Um, yeah, it was great going to Texas games, but it was not the event I think that it is today, right? Like, the there's a reason why Mac Brown came in and said, you know, come early, be loud, stay late, wear orange. Because it was, it was kind of a country club atmosphere. And, you know, for years and years, Texas and Texas was kind of the butt of jokes about not having a true home field advantage, even though there's 100,000-plus people in the stadium. And I think that's absolutely been flipped on its ear. And I think Texas is one of the more formidable places to play in the conference right now. And they're going to fit right in, I think, in a lot of ways in the SEC from that vantage point. And, you know, I think there is, like, the LED lights were great. And I think you mentioned, like, the synergy between the players and the fans you could feel the energy in the stadium with the fans you could feel the players feeding off of it and it's true like there is something to be said about when the team is playing well and the fans are cheering and the way that those two things play off each other and i think um it cannot be understated and it cannot be undervalued i'm banging the drum this week on something similar but um you know, Steve Sarkeesian was talking today about you know texas's last trip through the big 12 um and you know baylor um this is going to be the last time that Texas plays Baylor for the foreseeable future. You know, they mentioned, you know, if Texas plays Baylor in non-conference, then TCU is going to get upset or the mm-hmm. Texas Tech is going to get upset. Um, and so, you know, outside of OU and Texas A&M, Texas has played Baylor the most. I think it's 113 meetings, which is absolutely wild to think about. And so um, I just encourage you and implore you, enjoy these games because we're not going to see them for a very, very long time. It was a decade between... It's been a decade since we played Texas A&M and we're going to get to play them next year because of a conference move to the SEC. But if that didn't happen, I don't know when the next time we'd be playing Texas A&M was. I have no clue. I don't know when it'd be on the schedule. So I don't anticipate 
you know, getting to go and, and play Baylor or play Texas Tech or play TCU or play, you know, a Houston or any of these schools, right? So uh, as much as we like to dog and make fun of the Big 12 and, you know, get on Brett Yormark for, for being a mark, um, this is something that I think um, – you know, part of what makes college football special is the regionality of it and being able to say and play against people that are play against teams where their alumni are the people that are next to you in the cubicle, next to you in the grocery store, being able to throw shade at them, you know, in the line at H-E-B or somebody throwing the horns down at you in the Walmart parking lot or whatever, right? And, and so we are losing some of that with all of these changes coming to college football. So I say all that to say, enjoy it, right? This is Texas's last ride through the Big 12. They're going to get everybody's best shot. And Texas's goal is to walk away and walk away from the conference with the conference championship so it's going to be a slugfest every week even though we already talk about how it is but enjoy it you're not going to get to see these games played for a very very long time and so regardless of of uh your feelings about texas or the big 12 or leaving the big 12 enjoy these moments because we're not going to get them for a very long time Gerald, can I just say I think that's a great point, but I'm also a little bit disappointed in you. I'm going to rebang the drum because I, I thought you would find a way to sneak in somehow. For most of this game against Wyoming, the defining moment of the game was Byron Murphy catching a touchdown. Byron Murphy's offensive contribution was the difference in this game. It is a shame to all big men, Gerald. I, th- I was I was clearing out for you to ISO on that one day, but... <laughs> Let me say this. Let me say this. It was a great play. You know, great hands. He showed, he showed. you know, went out and secured it. Strong hands brought it in. The The Texas social media department, so, so good. Their, their, their Bama mini movie after that game was Academy Award, you know, worthy. The, the choice to put, like, uh, I'm not a classical music head, but whatever sonata, whatever, like, dramatic uh violin and cello piece over it and slow it down and t- to post that on social media as the highlight of that play i was like in tears laughing when i first saw that like bravo good on you uh texas social media and man what a fun play i love big man touchdowns give him the piesman I mean, he's he's got an opportunity at it. I think uh, one of the few offensive linemen that will have a touchdown, or defensive linemen that will have a touchdown this year. But that's all we've got for you on our recap episode. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on socials media at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Choose an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. We'll be back on Thursday for our preview of the Baylor game. And then obviously we'll be back next week with all of our recap from the first conference matchup. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook him. Hook him. Way to go, B-Murph. Murph.